1: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to We've Got Mail. This is the podcast where you control the conversation <laughs> right here at the Critically Acclaimed Network. My name is William
0: Bibiani. I'm a critic. Everybody calls me Bebs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a critic. And I kind of wish that the AOL guy had that kind of laid-back cadence. <laughs> like, so. like, bring you got mail. <laughs>
1: Dude. You got mail for Dave? Dave's not here, man. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is the podcast where you email us at the Critically Acclaimed Network, and we answer your emails. The email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. And, uh, yeah, people ask us questions, take us mm. to task, ask for recommendations. Ask us to do silly things, and we do them sometimes. Mm. Uh, We are open books. Want to give a very special shout-out once again uh, to M. Lopes De Silva, who joined us last week. Um, Her giveaway for her novel, Hooker, is still going for a couple more days. All right. So if you want to head on over to her Twitter page, it's underscore M. Lapis De Silva, L-O-P-E-S-D-A-S-I-L-V-A. Or uh, if you want to head over to her Instagram uh, and her Instagram account is author m silva, uh, mm-hmm. you just got to follow and like her posts uh, about the giveaway, and you are entered to win a signed copy of her new horror vigilante novel. Uh, and it'll probably arrive in time for the holidays, so
0: mm-hmm.
1: make sure you head on over. Just want to give one more shout out about that before we
0: jump on in. So let's jump <laughs> on in, shall we? I suppose that's uh, that's what we do now. Uh, Here is a letter from Elizabeth. Hi. Hello, Elizabeth. Uh, Hello, gents. I'm halfway through my junior year as a TV film major, and I found myself thinking about a course I took my first semester freshman year, TV film history and appreciation. Hmm. The idea was to cover the bases of TV and film history in a semester through textbook readings, lectures, and weekly screenings. Obviously, this was a daunting task for a professor to take on as 16 weeks is not nearly enough time to fully encompass every aspect of TV and film history. That being said, I present to you today the film screenings from the syllabus from that course. That's great. Uh, I figured focusing on just film would be quite enough for an email. I would like to know your thoughts on this list and exploration of as an exploration of film history. What do you think of these films individually? Are there other films you would replace to better exemplify a topic?
1: Uh, so just for just for clarity's sake, and I took a class just like this mm-hmm. when I was in film school, and it's often first year baseline, just making sure everyone gets the gist of it. Uh-huh. um it's basically trying to condense all of i guess they're doing film and television and i don't know how you combine them mm-hmm. but like we did just film history and then we had a separate class for tv mm-hmm. at ucla uh was uh, just uh here's the basic outline of film history uh-huh. and we're going to give you some of the big bullet points and we're going to watch some big movies uh throughout my particular class had a combination of well-established mm-hmm. classics and a couple of lesser-known films that captured an era really well so i'm very uh-huh. very curious I'm always very, very curious about what's on a syllabus like this.
0: Yeah. Uh, so we have uh, week one, early cinema. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Lumiere Brothers, first films. Life of an American Fireman by Edwin Edwin S. Porter. Uh, mm-hmm. I understand that's the first film that had uh, like a reverse edit. Oh, yeah. Like uh, the the camera essentially... Uh, with one edit, re- rotated around 180 degrees, so it was facing the exact opposite way. Like right. in one shot, you were looking in a window, and the next edit, you were looking out a window, and that was really yeah. revolutionary. At the well, because it didn't
1: it didn't necessarily track before that. That like it used to just be you would just show, have one angle, one shot. That was the whole movie. Yeah. And so the idea is by putting two images next to each other, will your mind make the connection between them? And mm. if that didn't work, cinema
0: wouldn't work. Yeah, so it's a it was a bold move to, to start it off. Yeah, mm. uh, The Great Train Robbery. Okay, uh, and A Trip to the Moon. That's week one.
1: Okay, uh, so uh, the silent era, mm. very very early film, super so, yeah, important. Nineteen oh two
0: and nineteen oh three, all of those ones. Week two: the The Triumph of Hollywood, Sherlock Junior, and A Dog's Life by Charlie Chaplin. Okay. Uh, all right. All right. Uh, week three: Hollywood establishes the class of narrative style with Broken Blossoms. Okay. G.W. Griffith, uh, and special note, we did not have to watch Birth of a Nation uh, in this course, but this film is still, unsurprisingly, quite racist.
1: I remember when I was in film school, we also uh, watched it for the early age of narrative film, like as narrative film was developing. Mm. Uh, we also watched a D.W. Griffith film, but we watched, um, I think it's Way Down East. Okay. Uh, which... Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we actively avoided Birth of a Nation, but we still had to watch that, and I think we also watched Intolerance, which is... A mm. uh, bit more narratively ambitious, ambitious, but also has a very troubled history. Uh, we'll d-
0: moving we'll on as well. Uh, week four: influential art- alternatives to Hollywood European cinema Nosferatu, nineteen twenty-two. Great. Okay. Week five: experiments in filmmaking Battleship Potemkin, nineteen twenty-five. Okay. Week six: The coming of sound in the studio system. It happened one night, nineteen thirty-four. That's a big jump. That is actually from Battleship Potemkin all the way up. Because you're, f- uh, you're jumping. You're jumping. Happened one night.
1: You're jumping from. I'm, I'm with all of these, by the way. Yeah. Like some of like the choices are kind of arbitrary. Like I might have done Nosferatu, or I might have done Caligari, or The Last mm. Laugh if for the German Expressionist era, that kind of thing. But. Uh, yeah, the, the age in which Hollywood started moving to sound, there's quite a few years there in the late twenties and early thirties where sound design was still sort of fumbling around finding itself and they had to completely relearn how to make a movie and a lot of things they were able to do visually, they weren't able to do anymore because they had to capture sound at the same time. So So you're kind of skipping some big stuff. Also, it's interesting that if you're going to really focus on that being sound, it Happened One Night is not a particularly sound-heavy
0: film. It, it is a dialogue-heavy film. True. Very, very and, true. And, and it's a great the, film. Be, no one's arguing that. And in fact, you'll, you watch a lot of films from the early 30s and you'll see a lot of really fast dialogue and a lot of um, witty banter because you couldn't hear that before.
1: I think the film we watched in my class for around that era was uh, Frank, Ka- another Frank Capra film. Actually, it was American Madness, mm. which if you've it's never seen it, yeah, and... if you've never seen it, it's so good and nobody talks about it. Uh, it's basically you know that scene in It's a Wonderful Life where there's a run on the bank, like the depression hits and everyone runs to the bank to get their money out, which would sink the bank and mm. doom the town economically even more. So it's that as one movie. It's a and, big bank in a big city, and, and everyone. And the crowd is
0: the main character. Yeah, yeah.
1: it's so
0: good <laughs> and so intense and really funny. It's great. I wish more people saw it. <laughs> uh, week seven, the first golden age of Hollywood movie making. Stagecoach. Okay, it's like the, yeah, I right. could see that. It's it's very. It's got a very. Um,
1: we figured out all the nuts and bolts of yeah. cinema things are starting to get really structured like that that one yeah. feels
0: a lot more modern compared yeah. to a lot of the other films it's, it's an well. incredibly
1: mm-hmm. modern film in fact it's it's a template for a lot of modern action movies mm-hmm. to this day yeah uh
0: week eight uh european alternatives to hollywood again mm-hmm. france britain germany and italy bicycle thieves and beauty and the beast both excellent choices. Uh, those are excellent choices. Um, but again, choices. we're jumping ahead a full decade there. Well, you have to. Yeah. That's that's one of the tricks. Yeah, because, I, guess so. I I'm sorry.
1: You only have like, what, 14, 16
0: weeks? That's a, not so a the, lot of time to get those through are, all the Those street. are the only two films uh, on this list from the 1940s, Bicycle Thieves and Beauty and the Beast. You, you, could do, you couldn't that's do do too, too much worse than you, that. I, um,
1: I might have done, instead of Beauty and the Beast, I might have done Rules of the Game. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, those are both. I, I like Italian neorealism is so important. Yeah. Because it was such a a, a, and a slap in the face of the artificiality that had come to define cinema for so long. Mm-hmm. So that's really, really important. And then, uh, yeah, again, the, the beauty of Beauty and the Beast is not to be underestimated. But, yeah, I don't know. I feel like uh, there might be...
0: It's like modern fairy tale storytelling, modern special effects. I don't know. What was
1: the one that we watched for uh, the two-shot that was also uh, uh, from mm-hmm. the director of Beauty and the Beast? Um, John Cocteau. Yeah, what was it? Was Cocteau's. Um,
0: oh, Oh, we, uh, we watched Orpheus. We watched Orpheus. Yeah. Orpheus might actually be more
1: interesting. As like Because Beauty and the Beast is still has that classical, you know, mm. Western fairy tale structure. Yeah. Even though it is kind of surrealist, an actual surrealist film that mm. is more actively engaged in not having a formal structure might have even been a bit more exciting to me. So uh, I might have gone that route instead if you wanted to go. Oh, yeah. yeah
0: but yeah. Uh, let's see. Yeah, Beauty and the Beast, uh, Week Nine, 1950s mm. television widescreen and color. Oklahoma was oh. their choice. You know, I've never seen Oklahoma. Never seen the movie? No, I never came out. Okay.
1: I, I keep meaning to. It's uh, it's uh, you've talked it up a lot, and Michelle's mm. talked it up a lot. It's but... it's a
0: and it also in terms of like Broadway history, it's a really mm. important musical. And, and as well, it should be. Uh, yeah,
1: if you're looking for like big widescreen movies, movies that were intended to compete uh, with, yeah. It's not a bad pick. At least at least the big
0: musical is not a bad pick, that's for certain. Yeah. yeah. I I suppose so, but uh, like Oklahoma's a good musical. Yeah. There's and that's a, a like it's grandiose but in the music. Yeah. It's not necessarily grandiose in the filmmaking, not as much as some other films. Like anyway. you can even
1: go to the more obscure films, more interesting for again, I didn't see Oklahoma, mm-hmm. but for interesting filmmaking it gets something like Oh, it's always mm-hmm. fair weather or on the town. Um but um I would actually probably go for one of the biblical epics for that, like, yeah, like the, was, some was... like the Ten Commandments or, uh, or or even like the war epics, like Bridge mm. on the River
0: Kwai or something like yeah, that. I've would, I would gone with uh, Ben Hur myself. There you go. Which is jumping is... ahead really far, but yeah, uh, not so much not so far from Oklahoma. It was yeah. only a few years after Oklahoma. Yeah. Uh, uh, week ten: uh, Transformation of Hollywood movie making. The Birds. Okay. Uh, Nineteen sixty three. Psycho is kind of the obvious yeah. choice
1: there, but The Birds is also a very good example. Well, Psycho
0: is such an outlier. I think you need a, like a, a better example of. The well, flux psycho works if you have a
1: baseline of what Hollywood was like exactly, beforehand. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Birds is so experimental and strange, mm. even by today's standards. Uh, well, week I, eleven,
0: I'm the, the European art house alternative, The mm. Four Hundred Blows, nineteen fifty nine. Yes, so just skipping back a little bit. Excellent. Uh,
1: not breathless.
0: Anyway, uh,
1: uh, no, <laughs> no, not breathless. Not breathless. Oh, okay. No, I would have gone. I would have gone with. I would have gone with Four Hundred Blows, or I would have gone with uh, Clear from Five to Seven. Okay, that but... would be the two.
0: Uh, week 12, Alternative Film Industries, Soviet Union, Eastern Europe, South America, Australia, and Japan. That's a lot of ground to cover. That's a lot of
1: ground to cover. Uh,
0: Patriotism by Yukio Mishima and My Neighbor Totoro. 66 and 88, respectively. That's a big gap. Uh, yeah, uh, and that doesn't... It says Soviet Union, Eastern Europe, South America, Australia, and Japan, and those are two Japanese movies. Yeah. So where are the other uh, these other uh, yeah. nations I'm being represented? To th- I'm trying to
1: think what I would... Mm-hmm. What I would pick because I feel like Japan, you're skipping over a really fascinating era of well, cinema like, like in the 50s the, and 60s. The, in the, well, there was, yeah. there was the
0: broad uh, storytelling, uh, forthright push of Kurosawa in the 50s, yes. mm-hmm. and then there was this really exciting Japanese new wave throughout the 60s. Uh-huh.
1: And there was also this incredible uh, uh, run of Japanese sort of commercial films with these incredible uh, samurai epics and monster mm. movies and yeah um and that's that's largely getting ignored as well um but yeah no you're 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 glossing over a lot of different countries there that's yeah. that's pretty i don't know if I'd, i i think i would at least mix it up mm-hmm. and i think totoro comes later i think totoro you haven't even touched animation yet yeah so i'd probably wait yeah. until you um, to cover animation anyway to cover
0: uh, week 13 contemporary world cinema history a better tomorrow oh, it seems uh, like okay Contem- no, contemporary world cinema i mean it's it's john woo it's one of his less well-known films over
1: mm. here it's an, it's an interesting choice yeah. um i guess you could look at sort of its interactivity with western culture and how they're feeding off of each other which you kind of skipped the opportunity to do that with seven samurai magnificent seven etc right, right, right that that whole cycle oh, so gosh, i can that's... kind of see that i feel like you could also a lot. do that with the horror genre as well with how uh, films like Psycho and Peeping Tom mm. uh, snuck into the giallo genre, which right. in turn fed into Black Christmas and Halloween and Friday the 13th. Mm.
0: Um, yeah. A week 14, Hollywood Thrives. What's your guess for Hollywood Thriving? Uh, the, <laughs> probably the, like the 70s. Mm. I would imagine something like The Godfather. was uh, Jaws. Okay. Yeah. yeah blockbuster cinema in J- the yeah. 70s. And uh, week 15, the 1990s and the independent cinema boom is Do the Right Thing, which is kind of... Kind That's of right. technically 89, it's... but yeah. Yeah. Um, uh it's either that or sex lesson videotape so yeah regardless. or you could, or, you or, or, or roger and me if you want you to also there. skip ahead
1: a bit if you want to do pulp fiction but yeah uh,
0: um uh so that's a good choice um let's see i look forward to hearing your thoughts on the syllabus finally i have a challenge for you if i okay. haven't taken up too much of your time already i'll pitch uh you are the professor in charge of teaching a film history course you have 15 screenings to show oh jeez. You can use show multiple films at a screening, but these screenings will be happening in the evening during the week, so you might not want to keep students too long. What films do you show? Okay. What parts of film history you're trying to highlight? Give me your syllabus for the class. Oh, golly. Okay, Look, that's a lot to do I, off the top of our head. I can't do that off the top of my head. We can
1: spitball this, and it will be fine. Right. Um, but uh, for the record, that's not a bad syllabus mm. at all. We well, take issue here's, with a few things, and I think there's some stuff you didn't cover.
0: Here, here, but, here's yeah. what you didn't cover. World cinema. Yeah uh, these are uh, very well were lar- yeah. largely uh American and maybe a few European films and there were two two Japanese films mm. and a uh, Chinese film in
1: there. And and to be fair, American cinema was a very dominant force throughout mm. a lot of the the, the the history of cinema, but yeah, you'd have yeah. to especially as time went on, you'd have to actively yeah, go out exactly. of your way to ignore some of the bigger stuff, yeah. Yeah, I I yeah.
0: I, I understand that there are some films that are so well known, yeah, it almost seems like a waste of time to study them again. Mm-hmm. Like putting, up... you,
1: I assume this is coming with a syllabus of required viewing or at least recommended viewing. Yeah, so like which would see, I would imagine be at least a hundred films long. Yeah,
0: teaching Citizen Kane, teaching The Wizard of Oz, mm-hmm. you know, this almost seems uh, churlish in a yeah. film school. I think it, you it's gotta, almost almost gauche to you teach pick your battles. Kane. You got to yeah. do some of them. But just to make sure everyone's got a
1: baseline, because again, teaching the classics and so we had a big long conversation about canon Mm -hmm. uh, last week on We've Got Mail when uh, Michelle was here. And um, uh, she doesn't believe in canon, she believes in following your bliss, and Mm -hmm. I agree with that. But I also think that on some level, there are certain sort of cultural baselines that you're expected to be kind of vaguely familiar with, which is why we have like... At some point in school, you're going to read Romeo and Juliet, mm. just so that when people reference Romeo and Juliet, you know what they're talking about. Right. Uh, that's not canon. That's just understanding the references. Mm. So I think you need to have a certain baseline on that. But, um, all right, let's talk about it a little bit. So I think you, you want to go through history for the most part. So you want to cover mm. the silent era bit. You want to cover the early so, yeah, sound uh, yeah. era. You want to cover the emerging mm. new, new uh, strains mm. of cinema thought, neorealism, uh, French mm. New Wave, etc., you want to cover international cinema. I think you want to try to cover as a, a, whenever possible different genres.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, and uh, let's say, and we guess we're we're cutting it off at around the 90s with the indie boom, which mm. makes about as much sense as anything. The last 20 years are so easy to to research. You don't really need to. Also, we don't have as much historical context to look back at them and go, "Here's yeah. what it was." Um. So the birth of cinema, very birth mm. of cinema.
0: How do you want to cover it? One or two screenings. Um. Uh, hmm. Yeah, they uh, this syllabus had the Lumieres, uh, mm. George Melies, and who was the other filmmaker? It was, uh, oh, it was Great Train Robbery. Yeah, I think I think I
1: sh- I think you show the first Lumiere films because they're so short, like a minute. Mm. Show those, and then I think you show the Great Train Robbery, mm. and then I think you show Melies uh, at least A Trip to the Moon. Mm. It's a cliche, but I think it's important. Um, and then you know what I would show actually because I actually think it really brings this era to life is a great documentary called lumiere and company yeah uh which is a lot of it is about the history of the lumiere brothers and how they you know through the invention of their particular camera uh you know jump-started what cinema would come to Mm. be but it's also a really exciting thing where they invited a whole bunch of filmmakers in the 1990s to make a lumiere brothers movie using an original lumiere brothers camera Mm. and we're talking people like david lynch Getting a chance to make a movie using the first movie cameras, <laughs> and it's really exciting. And you get to yeah. see just like you get to think about how, how that worked creatively. Yeah. Um. So I like that as a that's something we shot. We shot. We watched in film school, and I think it worked for me. Okay.
0: Yeah. Would Would you be averse to a film like Hugo, which is about early cinema?
1: Yes. Okay.
0: I think it's more important in film school to see the
1: original thing as much as possible, which is why the Lumiere mm-hmm. Brothers is a good compromise, because it's okay. a documentary about it, and it has some modern elements, okay. too. You go be on the recommended re- uh, watching list, though. I think that's fair.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, okay, so silent cinema uh, progresses. We've got narrative films. You want mm-hmm. How do you want to cover that? Do you want like a, a screening well, of...
0: I, I... The the silent era was actually a very exciting time because film was being invented then, yeah. and so if, yes, I would show. Uh, uh, first of all, Buster Keaton, yay! Charlie Chaplin, nay. I'd I'd show some shorts. Maybe I'd throw in a couple shorts if, just if as you... you like, um, yeah. like that. That's and uh, Earl Laurel and Hardy as well in yeah. terms of just the way cinema was used to punctuate comedic timing. Mm-hmm. Those films are better examples as to the strengths of filmmaking. Whereas, uh, Charlie Chaplin was a lot more about emotion. He was mm-hmm. trying to sort of be a, a lot more sentimental.
1: I think if you want to show, and if uh, you're
0: talking about sort of like craft and history and the development of the art form, mm-hmm. then you're going to want to see Buster Keaton.
1: I imagine you, the film would probably, set on would be Sherlock Jr. then. Mm. Uh, because it's about a movie projectionist who wanders into the film, and yeah, it's one of the are. first meta narratives in that regard. Mm-hmm. And um, it has some visual effects that are still really incredible today, actually, and mm-hmm. on top of being
0: really, really funny. So that's where I go. Yeah, and uh, I, I'm I would go with some of the. Uh, m- like better known, maybe European epics like mm. Erik von Storheim's Greed, or that's, uh, that's D- a whole night, Denibelungen, uh, D- Dinib- this... D- Dinib- which is five, also five a whole hours. Fucking night, yeah. Uh, oh, or heck, just the complete uh, Metropolis. Mercury Metropolis is a good pick. Mm. I think
1: that's where I'd probably go. I'd want to try to find time for at least one like German Expressionist film in more of the classical sense mm. than Metropolis. So I might maybe pair that up with caligari because it's short <laughs> uh but uh yeah those mm. that, that's all good stuff so we get to okay i think it's mm. fair to get to the sound era now all right uh so what do you want to do for the sound era i think I want at least mm. a couple of films from like the early 30s i'm thinking all quiet uh, on the western front uh
0: I'll, if if early sound cinema all acquired on the western front is definitely up there uh i would show uh paul lenny's film the man who laughs okay which was made in i think 1929 that which Silent was Bell? It is and it isn't. Oh, it's one of those uh, ones where they made it Yeah, it was sort ways. of this, this yeah. transitional thing where okay. there's no spoken dialogue, but there's some uh, recordings, some vocal inflections. And it was a, a time when, I think, silent cinema had sort of reached its apex. Mm. All of the experimentation had led to films like this, these big, bold, sort of fable-like fantasy films. Uh, the story is about a, a young boy who grows up in this fictional town, and uh, it's it's... Even worse than Dickens could have written, it's just <laughs> full of ruffians and criminals, and he gets punished one evening, uh, and uh, a ruffian carves a smile into his mouth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and he grows up to be uh, uh, Paul uh, Paul Heinrich. Paul Heinrich. and yeah. who uh, who uh, was the model for uh, the Joker in the Batman comics. So he's got original. this yeah. got this big toothy grin, and it's very weird hair. specifically what the character is based on. Yeah. yeah, and it and it's this fable about you know. An, an innocent young woman and a vampish woman and he's torn between the two of them but he's sort of this outcast from society he has to keep yeah. his face hidden. They so want to do
1: Man Who Laughs uh, and uh, All Quiet on the Western Front for that early sound area. That's not uh, bad.
0: Hmm.
1: Kind of harsh. Well, <laughs> it's I, well, I, it's I, not a fun double feature maybe. Yeah. it's.
0: I'm trying to think of like, like something an example of early sound cinema that um, was actually very dialogue heavy. So mm. not something like Quiet on the Western Front. I'd choose like uh, like an an upper-class farce of some kind.
1: Oh, you want to do like some Lubitsch or yeah, something like something that? Yeah, like, something like Trouble in Paradise. Trouble in Paradise there is good. That's I, do a trou- good call. I do Trouble in Paradise. Trouble in Paradise and, mm. um, um, mm. yeah. Let's screw it. Let's do Skippy. I just like and Skippy. And Skippy, why not? Let's throw in Skippy. It's, it's underrated. It's, yeah. it's, it's it's a
0: good movie.
1: It's be a fun education. Okay, let's mm. skip ahead a little bit and uh, let's go with Golden Age of Hollywood. And I think it's important for one of the films here to be one of the sort of propaganda-type films that were being made during the production code. Hmm. Um, so, I'm thinking Mr. Smith goes to Washington.
0: Well, I think what we should do, actually, right. you talk about the production code. We haven't covered that yet. We should show, like... A pre-code? Pre-code and a post-code. Well, then maybe we should skip
1: Skippy and do hmm. something that is genuinely pre-code, like the divorcee.
0: Yeah, something kind of kind of bawdy and daring for the yeah, time. Yeah,
1: something that wouldn't exist five years later. Mm-hmm. Okay, we'll do
0: the divorcee, and we'll do... What was the other one? How about The Divorcee and The Gay Divorcee? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, it's actually not bad. Mm. I kind of like that actually. Let's do that. Cuz cuz they they do complement one another and they're <laughs> very bad. different kinds of movies. I, I actually
1: like that a lot. Plus the titles are mm. fun. Okay, so we're going to skip ahead a bit. I think Capra esque is an important thing to cover, mm. so we'll do for the Golden Age of Hollywood, we'll do Mr. Mr. Smith, Smith and then
0: sure. <sighs> What's we haven't uh what's it like a, a core favorite of yours? Like Oh, um
1: Little, little Women maybe or yeah it's not great cinema though it's hey, nice it's nice it's a good adaptation mm-hmm. but it's not like or the, or the women um he, yeah that's not yeah. bad um i don't know i'm thinking um philadelphia story isn't also great cinema either i mean it's great mm-hmm. but it's not like cinematic in a way you're gonna want to study it um but yeah you want to do something frothy uh you could do uh uh let go friday
0: okay there
1: you go done uh, but then you also want to have what's going on in the rest of the world at the time. Yeah, so we're, I'm thinking again, we're,
0: we're focusing on American. Yeah, cinema, well, that's cause... that's a, that's a big
1: part of the start yeah. of it. But now it's time to move along. And I think a good double feature would be try to get it on both sides of the pond. I mm-hmm. think we you do some Ozu, mm-hmm. and I think we do uh, some Renoir. Okay. So I'm thinking Rules of the Game and Tokyo Story. I mean, those are twenty years apart. But yeah, are they really twenty whole years apart? Uh, Tokyo Story Star- was forties. Tokyo Story I think is like fifty. Okay, well then what about what about 50, uh, what, what, what about Floating Weeds? Like what do you want to do?
0: Um, floating Weeds is also the fifties. Let me. Wasn't um, a remake of a film he did in the,
1: in the late thirties?
0: Yeah, it, it's a remake he did. Okay. From, uh, let me look up Ozu's filmography. because I I, hmm. I don't have his actual.
1: Chronology yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, no, it.
0: It. it's it's it's. Yeah, again, we're doing this Tokyo, off the top Tokyo's of our heads. Tokyo story completely. was from the early fifties. Um, we're, we're coming up with a
1: whole syllabus off the top of our heads. Yeah,
0: late late side. spring was from forty nine. Okay, let's so do let's, we can do late let's, spring. Let's do late
1: spring. We'll do yeah. uh, uh, rules of the game in late spring. We'll bookend the forties. Okay, uh, that way, and I think that's that's pretty solid. And then we're gonna move on to I think we need to do Italian neorealism. Mm-hmm. Uh Bicycle thieves is as good an example as you're gonna get. Mm-hmm. But if you're gonna do something else, I suggest either Rome, Open City, or Umberto Day. Um,
0: Umberto D. Yeah.
1: Okay, we'll do Umberto D. I think it's it's less well known and boy will it rip your heart out. Um okay, so we've got that and then I'm thinking I think we need to have some acknowledgement of B cinema as it was emerging. Yeah. Uh, um and and how like genre films were starting to get really interesting. So I'm thinking of something like uh it's hell of a double feature with with that, but uh, maybe something like uh the day I, the earth stood still i was gonna or, say it
0: came from outer space or maybe a ca- yeah. creature from the black lagoon uh, um,
1: oh invaders from mars mm-hmm. maybe might be really interesting or oh, i mean i don't want to just jump back and forth from japan but godzilla is of course a really good example of that's it. true uh, yeah uh
0: it, the day the earth stood still is an interesting example though because yeah. it's it, it has a lot of special effects but it's not an effect driven movie yeah Besides that, it's actually it's... very ideas driven And I, and I so... also think
1: it reflects history The Cold War was a mm. really driving Force yeah. in cinema
0: At the time although again I could totally just mm. swap that Out with Godzilla and you'd be fine um, I'd, I'd really have to do some study To get some like early Indian cinema In there mm. uh, we need a lot more examples Of Russian cinema because they were doing yeah. a lot of really Interesting things very true uh, It was around this time That wuxia started to become a thing mm-hmm. I would uh, probably cover that
1: more In the 70s maybe so uh, but um mm. yeah uh okay we uh, the birth of widescreen i think we need at least a, uh, some films mm. that were taking advantage of that mad mad world actually that's a really good idea <laughs> that, that's that's not gonna lie that's a really good idea that, that's
0: something that it, they filled the frame can, and they they just set it at a breakneck pace you
1: can you can read all about the other ones but mad yeah. mad Man world is not discussed in, in the same level so i think that'd be a fun mm. left field
0: yeah, uh, choice. In, I like that a lot. In terms of just sort of like bold, brassy, widescreen mm. photography, uh, yeah. Mad Mad World is kind of up there. I
1: think I'd want to make sure at some point around here we start dedicating at least one day to animation. Okay. And so I think we show some. Uh, I think we got to show some like early. I think we show like Fantasia, some of like Disney's more experimental yeah. early stuff. And then we would combine well, that with something.
0: If if you want to skip back a little bit, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs was uh, is often called Disney's first feature. Uh, it's uh, and, Disney's first feature, it's yeah. not
1: necessarily the first animated feature, no, but, but if, like yeah, it,
0: it's it's one of the most significant animated feature films.
1: Yeah, I just don't know if it's necessarily the most exciting one to teach. Uh, and again, it's
0: it's because Disney is like so heavily branded in the modern mm. age. Yeah. It's not something that's I, forgotten or obscure. I think, I, would, I
1: think I'd have more fun teaching Sleeping Beauty, which breaks some of the old-fashioned uh, old, old fashioned yeah. rules and actually has a more interesting uh, narrative yeah, uh, it, to explore.
0: It has that bold 1950s aesthetic. I love mm-hmm. the design of that movie. It's
1: incredible. Um, yeah, and then I think I would uh, jump ahead a little bit uh, and uh, cover um, animation that was more skewed uh, towards an adult audience. Mm. Probably either Fantastic Planet or... Uh, maybe uh, Grave of the Fireflies or My Neighbor Totoro. I love Fantastic
0: Planet. It's yeah, such a know, good movie. Um, uh, it's around this time that we can start talking about underground cinema. Yes. Uh, we definitely need to talk about Night of the Living Dead. Yes. Uh, or, and or Carnival of Souls. I'd actually just show them the same night. Uh,
1: I think, you, I think the time is at a premium. You got to pick one.
0: I mean, not if we're showing Mad Mad World, which is three hours unto itself. But you could, that would you that would, both of those movies in less time than it was I appreciate to that. Man but World. Mad Mad
1: World isn't going to be paired with anything except maybe mm. a short. Like we got to just <laughs> that—that's a whole night unto yeah. itself. So I think my thing is with those is that they're both great, but one can be recommended reading if yeah, you okay. like the other one. So I think you do like something like. Uh, you, I, here's what you do: you do something like uh, uh, Night of the Living Dead, and then I think it's something really grindhouse-y um, you do Night maybe, of the maybe, Living maybe Dead like a and maybe commercial Gordon Lewis, I was film of the or Tingler, something. actually. Oh, okay, something yeah. to explore like how cinema can break out of its engines mm-hmm. or you do Night of the Living Dead and Rocky Horror and talk about how, how the sort of phenomena of midnight. Oh, the movie. midnight, yeah. yeah. Um. So the 70s, you got the Hollywood system sort of giving way to a more auteur-driven sensibility. Mm. You gotta do some of those. Jaws is a perfectly good example there, but also well, Exorcist Godfather Rocky Network. Well,
0: we didn't talk about Easy Rider. You didn't I talk about know. Easy
1: Rider. You could put in Easy Rider, you mm. put in Bonnie and Clyde. Mm. Um, I would probably lean towards I think that warrants a double feature. I would say something like really biting like network. And then something a little bit more warm, a little bit more warm. Yeah, what do you what do you think would be warmer than that?
0: Clockwork Orange. Shut up. Uh, <laughs> what are
1: you doing to me? Why are you, why are you doing this? Uh, you do Network, and then you do Rocky. Okay, I think they're the same year, even, but they're good. Hmm. They're good companion pieces, I go. think, in a lot of ways. Um. Uh, the I think you start getting into the age of blockbuster cinema in the 80s. I think 80s got left out of that syllabus. Yeah. Um. And I think you well, want to look I, at I some of the more interesting visual effects stuff that got, you know.
0: 80s blockbuster cinema is, is well trampled ground. Yeah. So if you're going to have an example of blockbuster cinema, you you'd, need, yeah, you'd need one, and it can't be something everyone already knows.
1: No. I think you do something that's an ambitious failure. Mm-hmm. Like you do something like Tron or the Black Hole. Or something that something like it's like here hey here's what you you can learn more you already know the big ones you've seen Raiders here's some of the things that didn't go right so watch something there Um, yeah um we barely touched the horror genre I would love to do Mm. um shit anything Um, (laughs) I think I think uh, John Carpenter's Halloween is like a good for a night of indie cinema Mm. and then you would follow that with what indie cinema sort of became in the 90s and I think Do the Right Thing is a great example of that. Fiction is a great mm-hmm. example of that. A um, lot of good examples of that. Uh, John Waters would be nice to throw in there too. I think yeah, uh, we should... really don't have a lot of queer cinema,
0: actually. No, we haven't. We haven't brushed, and that's the thing. You know, yeah. we, we so much of
1: Hollywood. We're, we're not trying been...
0: to represent a lot of it, but you know, when a lot of it is it, fucked up. Yeah.
1: A lot of it is fucked up. A lot of, For a lot of the history of cinema, women weren't directing enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, people of color weren't given an opportunity to tell their stories. In fact, fuck it. For, uh, in, for the independent thing, we're, we're going to include Watermelon Woman.
0: Oh, there you go. Yeah. yeah Which we, we watched, both of us, for the first time recently. Which I
1: like because it's also reflexive about history. And it's like, hey, mm-hmm. I'd even show that last.
0: There's Watermelon me, like, Woman. Hey,
1: look, there's this whole fucking history that we didn't get. Because it wasn't mm. catalogued, because it wasn't preserved, and, the, and because it wasn't made.
0: And the irony of that movie is that they had to make up their own history. Yeah, yeah. that's Anyway, yeah. It, that's very flawed. Everything mm. we
1: come up with is very, very flawed. It's just us spitballing. Um, we'd probably keep half of those. Mm. Uh, but, um, yeah, we'd want it to be even more inclusive. But, again, the, the huge swath of film history was dominated by one gender. Mm. And um, depending on the country you're in. Uh, you know, lar- largely white people. Um, so it, that part sucks, and mm. we need to do a better job of exploring all of that. Yeah. We're just oh, about- know, we're, we were
0: talking about we were talking about underground cinema yeah. and sort of the rise of low budget films. Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever oh. we said before, put in Killer of Sheep. Uh, oh, killer yeah. sheep! Hell, fuck yes! Yeah, put, put in killer sheep and killer sheep. Uh, yes, uh,
1: I would say. Uh, put, oh, throw in Scorpio Rising and Scorpio Rising. That's as well. a great yeah, example yeah, there too. Yeah, from
0: from the sixties. Yeah, that's, that's a really that's awesome. important film, Scorpio Rising. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I love mm. all that. Okay. um
1: mm. Anyway, hopefully this was interesting, and if not, we apologize. Uh,
0: let's... <laughs> it's just us kind of spitballing. Yeah. yeah. Let's uh, let's move on. All right. Here is a letter from Daniel. Hello, Daniel. Okay. Um, dear Bibbs and Whitney. I'm curious if there are any filmmakers whose work you like in spite of profoundly disagreeing with their political beliefs. If so, it'd be interesting to know uh, whether and how the disagreement or just the awareness of the politics has colored your view of their work over the years. Writers and directors' beliefs seem most likely to interact with their work in obvious ways, but I think it shows up with actors too, at least when they have enough clout to choose their projects more freely. Uh, For me, an example of this comes to mind would be the actor Charlton Heston. I've always enjoyed mm. his movies, despite disagreeing with his politics later in life. I have a weakness for grand scale, grand scale historical epics, which he made a lot of. And I think he was a better actor than he usually gets credit for. Oh, I think he's often credited as being a very fine actor.
1: Yeah, it, it was a period of time when I think people thought he was mostly very hammy. Like he started yeah. getting mostly remembered in pop culture for, yeah. you know, you blew it up, didn't you? Or <laughs> Soylent Green, is people, like he just got kind of known for like the Omega well, there, Man there was, shit for there, a while. His,
0: his post-apocalypse trilogy, there was yeah. the Omega Man uh, Planet
1: of the Apes and Certainly Grain. True, true. I'm just saying that he kind of just for for a certain minute there, that was what he was known for. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh for directors, I love Frank capra's films, but I've read he was actually quite conservative, with some of the more mm-hmm. liberal sentiments of his films coming from the writers. True. Anyway, I'll be interested to hear if you have any similar fandoms despite political disagreements. Thank you for your work. I'm looking forward to 1940 on mm-hmm. only the best. Thank
1: you. Uh yeah, and we're we're getting to that. Don't mm. don't worry. And I'm so sorry. Last couple of months have delayed a few of our uh, podcasts. But uh directors whose work we appreciate, even though we don't agree with them politically. Mm-hmm. Uh, first name that comes to mind, he didn't direct a lot of the films that, is, that are associated with him, but he, his stamp is all over them, Walt Disney. <laughs> Walt Disney had a very particular idea of America and American culture, and it was steeped in a memory of something that didn't exist.
0: Yeah, it was a super, super conservative idea. Extremely conservative idea. What this this country should look like. Yeah,
1: what the country should look like, what the country should feel like, what history should feel like, and how history should be rewritten to be halcyon. Hmm. Which is one of the reasons why films like Song of the South have aged so very, very poorly, because they represented an
0: idea that, oh, was it really so bad? Yes, Walt! Yes, well, it fucking was. And that's been my objection to just the company at large, even after Walt Disney passed away. Yeah, and it's and a it whole is, ethos Yeah, you know, it's persisted. It's been generations yeah. hence, and they're still trying to present the world as, a, <clears throat> excuse me, a very simplified place yeah. with easy answers. That even applies to stuff like Star Wars.
1: And and, and here's the thing. Hmm. A lot of great movies were made by Disney himself hmm. and people who worked with him and people working with his ethos, a lot. Hmm. But the problem is, for me the individual movies may sometimes be great. Often they suck, but sometimes they're great. Mm. Uh, But when they become this like dominant cultural force, their influence dwarfs their individuality, I think. And this becomes this overall pervasive idea of how things should feel and be. And that I, I dislike. But regardless, I can look back at many of Disney's films, many of them presenting this idea of... America culture fairy tale whatever, and say to myself, "Wow, that's really well made. Wow, what a really really great movie just yeah. in and of itself." You know, um, Clint Eastwood's another one. I don't like well, all yeah, of his movies; I think Clint he's Eastwood's really hit re- and miss. But he's, he's
0: kind of uh, an easy answer just because yeah. his politics are so uh, he's so open about his politics, yeah. uh, not just in in his life but in his movies. Yeah, uh, the one time his politics sort of was r- incredibly noticeable in a film of. Eastwoods was actually Sully. Mm. I mean his, he, he's always had these political leanings in his movies, but Sully was very like 2000s conservative. Uh, it was about it's a true story about a pilot who experienced some uh, plane trouble. He's played by Tom Hanks in the movie. Uh, and he makes some uh, last-minute decisions to save uh, as many people as he could and he lands the plane in the Hudson River. Mm-hmm. Uh, the plane is lost. And the movie is about how like these evil aviation f- federation workers are now out to get him. And they're going to get him in court because he lost a plane. And he's this old white guy who should have retired a long time ago. And it feels very political, cl- politically cl- coded in the way that uh, victimhood is something that people are trying to sort of put on themselves. That there's this evil cabal of uh, organizers who are out to get the good old-fashioned white guy. Mm. And that that's a very modern thing, and that was very obvious that that's what that film was about, uh, especially when you look up the true story and learn that that's not what happened. Yeah, Nobody to, was out to get They him. had to
1: make up the persecution yeah. in order to get the persecution complex. Mm. Uh, that And the, he would eventually revisit that in something like Richard Jewell, Mm. Which is another movie that is about the media persecuting again. Yeah, which is yeah. which plays pretty good on its surface until you realize that the people who come across the worst are being misrepresented in various ways mm. in order to make a point. That's when it sucks. Like I can yeah. I can handle. I I don't like every movie he's ever done. I think Million Dollar Baby is really ham fisted. I don't think it, I think there's a good performance. Well, in most of like, his
0: movies are ham fisted. But, I think, but I, think he, I think he had subtleties. I think know, uh, if uh, you ever saw Hereafter, I think that's actually a pretty complex movie. There you
1: go. Uh, but uh, yeah, no. But I, again, I think many of his films are truly excellent, whether or not I agree mm. with his political beliefs or even the underlying themes of them. Yeah. Uh, but uh, that's a, that's he's one of the more prominent conservative filmmakers mm. that we have. So. Or at least openly conservative. So um, those are some examples. Um, Again, it's not a matter of judging someone's politics. It's a matter of Mm. judging the films. And And if the films are steeped in those politics and we have an Mm. adverse reaction to the themes that are being explored, that is a fair reaction, Mm. I think. It might be a personal reaction. That's why we have to discuss it. But it's not like saying the movie is bad because the politics are different. Like, no, I had an adverse reaction because this movie espouses something Mm. that I've... Absolutely disagree with and find unethical or immoral or etc. That's that doesn't have to be clutching pearls. That can just be Mm. I found the movie to be in poor taste. Yeah, that's all that needs to be said. Um, Yeah, well, not all that needs to be said, but that's that's what that's what needs to be discussed.
0: There, there's a, a whole we we just discussed how the the history of film is dominated by white guys.
1: I'm still mad at and, our uh, syllabus. I actually think we could have done a lot better. And I, I we uh, yeah. we could we could be talking about that for like 6 hours mm. and, and we still wouldn't be satisfied and, with yeah, the and, that
0: And picked. and what whatever we came up with we wouldn't be satisfied because we'd be yeah. leaving so much off. Yeah, we didn't get uh, any
1: uh, like uh, South American uh, cinema in there mm, like at all. Yeah. I mean, we would we
0: would need to go back and make sure we put something in, you know. Mm. Um but yeah, there's there's I a guess, ton. Again, history, but we live in America, so we tend to go for American films first because that's what we've seen most of. Yeah. And and, and again, Hollywood has been think, a dominating
1: force think, in the industry, but that's no excuse.
0: Yeah. I think, um, and this is a prejudice of mine, I think a lot of the more interesting things that happen in cinema come from overseas especially when you're looking at particular eras not 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 that america is is creatively bankrupt but i feel like the
1: studio system made everything follow a pattern for hmm. so long maybe different patterns but when interesting things
0: came in it was usually infiltrating from other places
1: yeah or at the very least the independent scene and then and then studios would go oh is that making money okay we'll do that and
0: then we'll make that into a formula Hmm. and then we'll rob it of its power Hmm. it all the time uh, but I, I've always bristled at uh, films that celebrate a certain kind of masculinity. Mm-hmm. Uh, action pictures and war pictures mm-hmm. that, that present the man these, up philosophy. Ca- yeah, yeah, these sort of caricaturized versions of idealized masculinity, guys with guns. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it's difficult for me to recommend uh, and get behind the politics of films like The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Or uh, films that are about, like, guys with guns getting revenge uh, yep. over some something that, like, happened to the women in their lives. Because that's mm-hmm. typically the pattern that it would follow. Often, yeah. Uh, the whole uh, uh, fridging phenomenon. Mm-hmm. The the phrase wouldn't be coined until later, but it applies to an entire genre that started mm-hmm. in the 70s and before. The, so...
1: searchers, the Searchers features that. That's what yeah. it starts with, yeah.
0: I think The, the Searcher—I rewatched The Searchers and mm-hmm. actually found it to be an incredibly nuanced film that could play as a criticism of that kind of masculinity. Sure, but it's also built on it. It's also, but it's also built on it, and yeah. uh, I, I have trouble getting behind the politic of a film that celebrates male violent action.
1: Mm-hmm. Specifically, male. Like, specifically, as if, as if the status quo and the heroic nature uh, of man comes from their capacity for
0: violence, for 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 violence yeah. against others, and yeah. and how the violence that is beset upon them is evil, but the violence that they put upon others is heroic. Mm-hmm. Uh, even that's not to say even it can't even, be even be if it's well. an identical act, that's not yeah. to say it can't be done well. I and mean, you you like a lot of action movies. I've liked but, a lot of action movies, yeah. and I I see how and have felt the catharsis of uh, heroic violence. Mm-hmm.
1: But, but there's it's gotta be presented there's there's in a, such a there's way.
0: a politic yeah. to all like a, almost entire genre of film that doesn't sit well with me. Yeah. So uh, I just sort of have to recognize that and appreciate the artificiality if I can. Uh, but often I can't. Mm-hmm. Often it's difficult for me to to get past these very basic moral lessons that are constantly being retold from male filmmakers to yeah. uh, in the filmmaker's mind a presum- presumptively male audience. And
1: often they seem to be completely unexamined. Which which is frustrating. Yeah. And these are the yeah.
0: films that are actually
1: examined the least. Yeah. And some of my favorite movies that handle this are movies that are oh. managed to explore hmm. uh, something. I disagree with the idea of the, so- of the, uh, uh, the toxic masculinity, which hmm. is a more complicated term than I think a lot of people realize. Um, but they managed to also be entertaining in the process. A couple of movies in the 1980s dealt with this hmm. uh, predator. Yeah. The original predator is about a bunch of muscle bound, wise cracking, tough guys, uh, who get the shit kicked mm. out of them and realize that their machismo is not enough to like actually survive in this world
0: by by a creature and I, this can't be a coincidence yeah. has kind of a kind of a vaginal face yeah like it has this perforating image
1: yeah yeah, yeah. um th- th- I think that's mm. no coincidence and then also Big Trouble in Little China uh, which is uh, a very clever <laughs> a very clever subversion of the mm. action genre at the time where uh, Kurt Russell plays this tough guy. Uh, f- awesome, full of one liners, muscle bound guy who's going to come into another culture and save the day and beat everybody up. And he is useless the entire <laughs> yeah. film.
0: He doesn't realize that he's a supporting character he, in the movie. He he's, thinks he's the lead actor. He's Dennis
1: Don's comedy sidekick, but mm. because it's an American movie, he's foregrounded, but the movie knows he's shitty. He gets to do, like, one cool thing mm. at the end, and it's like the movie just gave him a gift. Like, <laughs> hey, Kurt, you made it all the way to the end, and you didn't die. You get to throw a knife. Good job. <laughs> also, that movie's crazy. That movie's <laughs> a really astoundingly amazing Bush <laughs> picture, but it's, but it's smarter, I think, than people yeah, give yeah. it credit for. Um, mm. so yeah, so movies can be made about these things and they can be really, really great, mm. but and they don't even necessarily have to be that subversive. But yeah, I agree. Sometimes mm. you just see a movie which just exploits the... mm. people. Forget that exploitation cinema, exploitation art is about exploiting the expectations and desires of the audience, it should not be about exploiting the people. Within no, it. no, no, it's we-
0: it's about it, yeah. yeah. That's, that's it's the idea. about exploiting the audience, not the people yeah. the, the audience not wants the to actors. see sex
1: and violence, okay, mm. we can exploit that for money that's yeah. what that's what that's supposed to mean yeah um uh, my wife Michelle has talked about that in a recent podcast that she was on, and it's it's an excellent point and it needs to be reset over and over again uh but um yeah, but uh you can sort of mindlessly do that and perpetuate some ideas which can be quite ugly, mm. and I think if you do it smartly. You can have your cake and eat it too. You can have fun without just
0: without being gross about it. without
1: being gross about. It. It's a great way mm. of putting it. All right. Um, well, hopefully that mm. helps. Let's move on. Uh, here is a letter. I'm still mad f- about uh, that syllabus. I don't think we did a good job at all. No, of course we didn't. No, the, it's the, terrible. The,
0: there wasn't a way we could have. Uh, yeah. That's It's a fool's errand. Honestly, yeah. like
1: I don't envy anyone having to do that mm. job because you're not going to cram it all in. Yeah. Something's going to get the short shrift. Mm.
0: It's, it sucks. Anyway, uh, yeah. here's a letter from uh, one of the many bens. Because <laughs> we have a lot of Ben's. We know uh, a lot of Ben's. Hey, bibs, and did I see you dare disparage the good name of pie <laughs> 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 on Twitter? Pronounced Rock My Stomach cool. <laughs> pie
1: the the dish, or pie the movie, or pie, pie the mathematical symbol. Pie,
0: pie the the baked good. What did you do to pie? Uh, I I I dared to suggest that the worst cake is better than the best pie. You know, I used to believe that, and I'm increasingly becoming a pie guy. Okay. I've had a few pies. I would hope Gr- so. Okay. Grow- Otherwise, you don't have a right to an opinion. Growing up, I loathed pie. Ah. Uh, now, I am not a fan of pie, but I don't okay. hate it. What, have, you ever, have you ever had, like, a really great pie? No, I've never had a really great what's pie. What's the best pie you ever had? Like, what's the, What kind? Uh, they're, the, they're all the same.
1: They're not? mm <laughs> you're eating bad pie that's what it is you're yeah. eating bad pie I've, that's I've, I've had my own pie i baked a okay. pumpkin pie like so saying pizza from, is
0: the same then you're eating the same pizza over yeah. and over from again. scratch i made a pumpkin pie like okay. scooping out the pumpkin meat and blending mm. it all up
1: okay uh, so i've
0: I've made pies that are that yeah. have, have passed muster according to those that eat them but yeah, i'm, but I'm, not, a, pie I'm is not a great but
1: it's not very complicated i'm not pie. Pie a pie fan
0: i am however a big mm-hmm. cake aficionado and i we think a great a great cake is will stand in in any circumstance over any kind of pie we scenario. had I
1: think I think the best pie we ever had is a pie that uh, Michelle and I uh, made she mm. did, did most of it but um, was a peach and a strawberry pie okay it was
0: astounding those two things <laughs> go so well
1: together it's nuts
0: I'd, I'd, I'd rather just eat peaches and strawberries than ruin them by putting them in a pie
1: why do what do you hate you hate pastry you hate no I, lo- I love hate, pastry hate... I just
0: don't like pie <laughs> It, it, there's there's a, it's a texture thing. there's a lot okay. of like this jelly like kind of like I don't like cheesecake either for the same reason. I wish I was half really. as good as anything as Michelle's good at everything.
1: She's the best. Okay. Anyway, sorry. Right. Moving on. She bakes good pies. She, she she can do anything she puts her mind to. Right. She, she's just been uh, anyway,
0: uh, Ben says, yeah. uh, ever since I started listening to your podcasts back in June of 2018, I've been constantly compared to do better in expanding my film experiences and the horizons to a wider range of directors and countries. Awesome. The Criterion Channel has obviously been an indescribably valuable resource for me. It is. Yeah, yeah it's just yeah. A, It's the. It lays the path out in front of you, mm-hmm. and a movie subscription has been even better for finding some really unseen gems. Movie is really terrific. Too. Yeah, we need to start delving into movie at some point. Movie
1: is a really good service where they actually have a lot of independent international cinema. But their thing is that they actually only license their movies for a very short amount of
0: time. Yeah, so you really got to be. So on you top have of you it. have like
1: they have what they have for like I forget I think it's the month and then you have that much time to watch it and then. The menu changes. Mm. Uh, so so, so same,
0: same with Ovid. they yeah. they, they rotate. So it requires
1: some like active participation. You can't really be that passive about it and assume mm. something will always be there. But it's their lineups are spectacular, and you should totally check it out. Yeah. yeah.
0: Uh. T- t- anyway, um. Movie subscription has been. Where else could I have stumbled upon the gorgeously sought twenty nineteen Lithuanian film, uh, Nova Lithuania, Ooh. a Chaplin Tati esque palest- Palestinian comedy called Divine Intervention. Ooh. An excellently conceived Icelandic vignette film called Echo, all in the span of a few months. Yeah, that's the kind of stuff you're going to on yep. movie. I didn't even get to see any um, of those. That's great. And in stumbling around in the massive world cinema content, I usually know what I'm going to like. I adore filmmakers like Hirokazu Costa mm-hmm. Gavris, Andre Vida, and Bergman. I Always go for slice-of-life and vignette-style films. But recently, I stumbled across Sergio Corbucci's 1967 spaghetti western, The Hellbenders. Ooh, I haven't seen this one, but I'm a Corbucci fan. Uh, A dark tale of a confederate family that refuses to accept that the war is over. And in a sense, I loved it. Uh, While I definitely respect great spaghetti westerns, I usually find them uh, at least a little tedious. And Corbucci has such a strong reputation for cynicism, especially gratuitous violence. Now, I've seen two of his films, the other one being The Great Silence, and I'm uh, genuinely wondering if he might end up among one of my favorite directors. Mm. There's something about how honest his cynicism and violence about America's darkest tendencies that really get me. Uh, I do hope this hasn't dragged on too long. I'm curious, who are the filmmakers you count among your favorites that might be surprising given your personal tastes? Any filmmakers who employ forms, themes, or aesthetics that you are usually turned away from but somehow aren't with them? I appreciate all you do. One of the many bands. Um, you know, I don't actually mm. tend to think about it that way
1: but mm. for the record, if you're not familiar with the works of Sergio Corbucci, a lot of Americans seem to think that spaghetti westerns began and end with Sergio Leone mm. he was amazing, no one's arguing that, his movies are great there's a lot of great spaghetti westerns mm. and a lot of great times that make from that era Corbucci was incredibly prolific and made a lot mm. of really really cool mm. movies, Well, they... uh, The Great Silence is great, Campaneros is great I haven't seen Hellbenders. He did the original Django.
0: Hmm.
1: Uh, just Dude. hell of a, hell of a filmmaker.
0: Well, there there are certain kinds of um, you can call them uh, like genre filmmakers, or or even mm. schlock, or even trash filmmakers, if you like. Yeah. Who just made cheap trash. Yeah. That was like really exploitative. But there comes a point when those kinds of movies have such a powerful aesthetic and are so unique yeah. and have such a great voice that they are easily comparable to the high art that you find in your film schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, Russ Meyer is one of those filmmakers. He's hit or uh, miss, but uh, his hits are yeah. amazing. Herschel Gordon-Lewis is one of those yeah. filmmakers. Uh, is
1: it Jack Hill? Yeah.
0: Jack Hill is, Jack one, Hill of those is one of those filmmakers. Every once in a while he'll do something astounding. Mm. William Castle. William Castle he made some real is, crap, yeah. but also made some brilliant motion pictures. I, uh, w- yeah. Well, I've, I've called William Castle the greatest American showman since P.T. Barnum. I don't like, disagree. He, he understands what it is to see cinema... In a theater with people like that experience, I is even what he's think trying Corman to, to...
1: occasionally stumbled into great nets. Some that, of his Poe films almost entirely really by accident. Yeah, but yeah, some of his
0: Poe films are like Mask of the Red Death is a mm. holy shit good movie. Mm. So, uh, th- there's a tendency, uh, when, when you're studying film when you're young, yeah. uh, to look only in certain areas. Yeah. I mean, you're expanding your mind. So you're yeah. exploring for the first time. And you often again, you're of, following your
1: heart. You're following like what you're immediately interested following in. But your at some heart, point you also, need to step out of your comfort zone. But also
0: zone. following like a s- syllabi or, you know, what yeah. your professors recommend to you. And mm, friends even. And, uh, you briefly develop a taste for, uh, for lack of a better term, art cinema. And, um, yeah. you start to look at films in a new way and you start to discover new filmmakers and you develop, you discover a, this new group of filmmakers that you tend to encounter in film schools. Right. Uh, your Bergmans, your Ozus, your Brassons. Uh, and those are all great filmmakers. Mm. I would never tell you not to watch a Brasson movie. Yeah, me either. Uh, but I, I think a few years thereafter, you start to employ those same analysis techniques that you're learning in school to... Cinema in a broader sense, and mm-hmm. that's when you start to accept that some of these really fil- these films that are to t- sort of an amateur eye seem kind of trashy and schlocky mm-hmm. actually do have a lot of uh, artistic value.
1: Yeah, there's something uh, there's something here mm-hmm. that isn't maybe necessarily clear to the naked mm-hmm. eye, but if you know what you're looking for cool. and when you you're... can appreciate the creative choices being made, you realize mm-hmm. that actually there's some real mm-hmm. artistry,
0: or at the very least, some underlying depth. Yeah, when, to movies that other people are overlooking. When you are uh, in high school and mm. you're getting drunk or high with your friends and you're watching Robot Monster, that's a blast. We do not recommend that in high school. No. But uh, you,
1: we know you're doing it.
0: <laughs> I've, I'll just say, anecdotally, I've seen it happen.
1: Yeah. Uh, but we don't but approve. You,
0: but, bad. Uh, or, or you're just up late and you've had too much Jolt Cola, whatever sure. it is, and uh, you're watching Robot Monster, which is this really mm-hmm. shitty monster movie from the 50s. Oh, yeah. One of the... Dumbest looking monsters you'll ever see. Yeah, Roman. Yeah. When you're 35 and you watch Robot Monster, and you're sober, mm-hmm. and you realize, and you realize to it. that there's a great deal of horrendous loneliness in yeah, that movie. It's a sad <laughs> film
1: in a lot of ways. Yeah,
0: that's <laughs> how I feel about Teenage Caveman. Oh yeah,
1: another Corman joint. But oh. yeah, it's like it's a film about. You know, teen rebellion, but it's a teen rebellion in the caveman age where this teen's like, hey, <laughs> what if we like believed in science mm. and didn't like adhere to these like old traditions that make no sense? And then the story <laughs> goes in a certain way. It's very, very cheap, but there's an earnestness to it. Mm. And you start appreciating that ideas of superficial quality, and by superficial, I just mean surface gloss, mm. aren't necessarily as important as. Uh, depth of feeling or intention or Mm -hmm. theme and you can just suddenly just real the the, whole world of art can open up to you but to answer your question like what are filmmakers who we really appreciate who seem like they're not our jam and I don't think I'm actually the best person to ask that question because I think based on Mm -hmm. what I've discussed with people because every once in a while I ask what what kind of critic am I because I'm too close to it I don't know I look at other critics and I see what they're good at and like oh that person's no silent cinema better than anybody. And this person's like the best star Wars expert in the world. And this person is really great at like sticking it to the studio system. Like, what am I? And I, what I tend to get most is you're very eclectic <laughs> and I think it's a compliment, but I think it's the idea that uh, at least sometimes it's a compliment, mm. but like, I think the idea is um, I, I don't, I'm not just into one thing. Mm. Uh and as a result, I don't know if there's anything that would shock people. Like I remember the last time I shocked anyone was when I said I thought there was actually something interesting going on in Hallmark Christmas movies. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I again I'm not saying they're all brilliant cinema, but I think there's they the, I was just describing this on another show, but like uh it's like somewhere off in the corner of Hollywood, there was a petri dish. <laughs> that was left unattended for like 20 years. And when we finally like turned on a light in that back room, we realized that a whole forest had <laughs> erupted and it became its own thing. Here, uh, I, I, would I kind it... of found that fascinating. And I mm-hmm. like those movies because I think they're working on an interesting wavelength, even
0: when they're even when they suck, even when they espouse things I disagree with, I, I would put it this way. Uh, I worked in a movie theater for many years, mm-hmm. uh, A movie theater, no matter if you work in food services, you know how filthy those places are. Yeah. How how dirty it is back in the kitchen. I have. I
1: have. I've worked there. uh,
0: It sucks. I I can tell this story because the theater's closed now, but uh, (laughs) we. It, we had an ice machine behind the concession stand, and uh, we never cleaned underneath it. Ooh. We also kept the popcorn kernels back there so oh. things would spill under the ice machine a lot. Ooh. One day we moved the ice machine and there was, no lie, a four foot popcorn stalk growing up out of the drain. <laughs> like somehow some organic matter had mixed in with that drain and they, they, like it had taken root and oh it was my growing. God that's amazing yeah like we wanted to leave it there we wanted to see how if we could start growing our own popcorn underneath the ice machine that's hallmark it's disgusting but life finds a way (laughs) you're not wrong but like Mm. but here's the thing i still think it's worthy
1: of study and Mm. a lot of people were saying no it's not and i'm like i think it is actually yeah and good or bad it's a whole genre it's a self-perpetuating thing now and i think it's fascinating so i don't know if there's anything i could say that people would be like wow Bibbs is into that hmm. um but uh, i will say uh, maybe the thing that maybe people would find surprising for me maybe i don't know um because they're often about characters that i would find completely insufferable in real life but i find them absolutely fascinating <laughs> and charming and wonderful when Wit Stillman covers them, <laughs> there is he. Wit Stillman is an independent filmmaker who's responsible for a series of films called "Doomed Bourgeoisie in Love." Mm-hmm. That's the unofficial title of his basic most of his oeuvre, and he it's basically insufferable rich, yuppies,
0: rich white twenty nine year old yuppies yeah. who don't have any life experience, but yeah. they're really really smart. They're educated, but they mm-hmm. have no wisdom. Yeah, and
1: the movies are just barely self-aware enough to understand mm. that like what knows what he's doing but the movies themselves aren't super cynical about them mm. and yeah i when i was a kid and i was i was and i was starting to get into shit like, i was getting into like racer head and yeah. i was starting to watch like grindhouse movies in the 70s and then all of a sudden i saw wit stillman's barcelona <laughs> uh, which is <laughs> about two yuppies in spain mm. falling in love and all of the people in spain hate them because they're yuppies. But they're kind of cute, so we'll we'll have sex with you anyway.
0: They're, they're kind of cute, and by the end of the movie, like they kind of realize that they're horrible people. But mm. they're not in a place where they know how to deal with that. They can yeah. just keep on being horrible people. And from there, and by horrible like they're not abusive or no, anything. They're, they're not, just they're not they're just twisted, cruel, they're, and se- like they're they're just selfish. They're and self, self. I wouldn't call them cruel, yeah. but they're selfish. They're self-absorbed, mm-hmm. and
1: that's the kind of person who, in real life, I would want nothing to do with them. But Witt Stillman understands the underlying tragedy of the ignorance of the intelligent yeah and i that that led me to metropolitan which is genius that led me to i'm not huge on last days of disco but uh uh damsels in distress is Dem- really yeah, underrated damsels
0: in distress is really good absolutely and, and, and delightful and, and love and friendship was one of the best films of its year so uh, uh, uh,
1: and... yeah Love and friendship is an adaptation of a jane austen i unpublished jane austen novel but mm-hmm. um at least in our time uh, but it's wonderful, and it's definitely of a piece with his work. So mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know if people would assume that I would be into something so bourgeois. But there you go.
0: But then again, <laughs> know, maybe well, it would.
1: I don't know. I mean, I'm, into, I'm into a little bit of everything. I
0: don't know. How would you characterize me as a critic? What am I into? Anything like, that what's... isn't corporate. <laughs> what's your, who's your favorite
1: corporate filmmaker? Someone who Things just like... is relentlessly corporate, but mm. you like their work.
0: Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm very fond of like later day Spielberg. Okay. Like, but that's the, not film, that's not his corporate like,
1: level though. That's not like still But these are corp- big
0: studio films. Yeah, but that's mm. not those aren't sellout uh, movies except for like Ready Player One. Uh, uh, the Wachowskis, uh, I, I like them. Uh, I like, you know, <sighs> they're they're, their, they're still kinda outliers, they're kind of outliers. Kind of, kind I, of, and also the kooky experimentalists. Yeah, I'd say, no, I think that's the you're,
1: you're mm. picking outliers though. I'm talking people who actually work within that system and mm. are constantly stretching it.
0: Uh, I'll say this, John Favreau. Okay. I think is a very interesting filmmaker there you uh, go. because I think he's capable of a lot. And I saw him sort of come up from his indie roots. And then I saw him make a, f- I think his most interesting film is Zathora. His because, most
1: interesting film, really? Because I
0: think that's sort of the, the bridge between his indie days and his blockbuster filmmaking. Mm. Uh, because he, if, if you read some interviews with him, he says he wanted to do as many, uh, practical effects as he possibly could he needed to bring a lot of character to it he was really kind of interested in the personalities of these kids and you can see him turning from somebody who was uh, making these kind of soulful character dramas into somebody who is doing something a little bit more spectacular and uh, even though it's not his best movie i think it's really exemplary of his skills as a filmmaker Mm. And I, I really like it when he does Chef, but I also really like it when he does Iron Man. I like yeah, that Iron Man's Man Iron Man's great. Movie. Yeah. Iron Man's great. Love Iron Man. Mm. Um, I, hell, I, increasingly over time, I, I, I think The
1: Lion King is, doesn't work at all, but oh, I, goodness, increasingly no. over time, I like his Jungle Book. I think his Jungle mm. Book mostly works. Mm, i'm not so fond of jungle book or of the lion king i think Jungle uh, book became its own thing i think okay. he managed to turn it into his own thing
0: i know he he's responsible for uh, uh the mandalorian yeah well partly i, don't think, it, I he's, think he's one he, of, the, is he one of the showrunners He's on one of the, the showrunners film? with
1: dave Filoni and i, I think someone else yeah. i don't i don't follow it too closely i'm okay. like I, I watched the first couple episodes and i'm like i get it i'm mm. not super into it but then everyone kept talking about how amazing the season was and i'm like you know what, I'll, I'll, I didn't dislike it. I'll watch it. So I'm about halfway through season one. Mm, fine. Uh, if it gets a lot better, cool. Mm. But like, I, I can see why people like it. It's Lone yeah, Wolf and Cub and Star Wars. Cool.
0: So why not? Yeah, yeah
1: it's episodic Lone Wolf and Cub and Star Wars. Cool. All okay. right. I, I get it. Yeah. I, I, hear, I love it yet, but I hear okay. that
0: like, the Mandalorian isn't Boba Fett, but I've heard Boba Fett is now in the show. So like, uh, a,
1: yeah. Yeah. That was a big reveal, but now mm. the cat's out of that bag.
0: So yeah. we all know it. that's not a spoiler. Anyway. No, not now anymore. Mm. I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. My, my favorite corporate filmmakers. Yeah. It's, but that's, that's the that's thing. True. You, I, you, you,
1: you defy the expectation corporations have mm. that you will fall in line and accept their, their schlock. Yeah. and Fox corporations I don't know them anything and again sometimes you like their movies a lot but oh, I'm absolutely. curious if there are any filmmaker who mm. generally works within that corporate environment who you dig and I think Favreau's not a bad example he's mm. got kind of one toe out of it but he's yeah. increasingly just Disney's guy
0: yeah I, I, I do appreciate the filmmakers who can work with both filmmakers like Richard Linklater yeah he can make just sort of a, a enjoyable mainstream Hollywood picture but he can mm. also do these interesting mm. social experiment Soderbergh kind of yeah Soderbergh mm-hmm. is another, another good one good example Uh I really wish he would dip back, but Peter Jackson did some really interesting stuff early in his career, and he went full corporate, and he hasn't gone back and forth. He's been yet. doing like
1: documentary stuff lately, and I appreciate that it's mm. like interesting, but like I feel like he turned into a little bit of a Zemeckis, where he got kind of in love with the tech, yeah, yeah. and he maybe is due to mm. maybe I I think he, I would love to just take the money away from him,
0: yeah. I just want
1: yeah. just want I'm not I'm not trying to make you a a, a, a popper. I just want you to make a movie for five hundred thousand dollars and see what you do. Like I just think that yeah, would the, be the fun. The last
0: yeah. time he did that was like in '96. He made that film, "Forgotten Silver." Oh god, that's uh, great! Movie. Which is a really funny movie. Watch, listen, don't
1: if we've talked about it before on a podcast before. But if you don't know what we're talking about, don't let anyone tell you anything. Just watch the movie "Forgotten Silver." Mm-hmm. It is the Peter Jackson movie. No one talks about that. Goes to the title. It is so interesting and good. And then once you're done, do oh, some research know, on it. I it's actually,
0: actually watch Forgotten Silver and The Watermelon Woman back to back. That would an Ooh, interesting a, double feature. That's a great double feature. <laughs> that's a great double feature. I love that. All right, moving uh, on. Uh, here's a letter from Brian. Uh, Agents Bibbs and RMC. Okay. Uh, for the majority of my life, the one thing I knew about myself was that I loved Star Wars. <laughs> the original trilogy has been my favorite movies as far back as I can remember. I would even watch them every year on my birthday. Nice. Uh, that was until the other day. <laughs> Uh-oh. Something happened. Uh-oh. Uh, the best stories are the ones that start with, this I used to believe. Yeah, uh, That was until the other day when I was watching a YouTube video in which the hosts talked about the whole of Star Wars movies, and I realized I dislike far more Star Wars movies than I like. Hmm. So maybe I don't love Star Wars. The original trilogy is still some of my favorite movies, but Star Wars as a whole is just not something I love anymore. So my question is, have either of you had a filmmaker or, quote, franchise you thought you loved or hated until you looked at... The whole, and it shifted your perspective. Brian from NorCal. Uh, P.S. I was glad to hear I'm not the only person who believes Kristen Stewart is one of the best actresses of her generation. She's amazing. She's great. She's amazing. Mm-hmm. She's incredibly talented. Um, to answer your
1: question, yeah, Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we came to this realization a, a while ago, and I was a bigger Star Wars nerd than you. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's funny. People tend to think that I'm sort of anti-Star Wars because I'm quick to be critical of it. Mm-hmm. Quick to be critical of it because, A, there's a lot to be critical of. And B, it's punching upwards. It's it dominates mm. the the discourse. It dominates the popular culture. Yeah. Um. We we need to be able to criticize it. And I get the impression everyone's like, oh, don't don't be critical of Star Wars right now. We're all enjoying it. Like, well, when are you not enjoying it? Yeah. <laughs> now is the only time when you, everyone's mm. enjoying it is the only time one can be critical of Star Wars because that's always. Mm-hmm. So we're stuck with it. But I grew up watching Star Wars a lot. My brother was super into Star Wars, and uh, he's older than me, and I got grandfathered into it, and I read a lot of the Expanded Universe, and I watched the movies over and over again. And, you know, I watch, like, the movie trivia showdown Star Wars thing, and I'm like, you know, rounds one and two, I do okay. Like, I mm. I know Star Wars pretty good, at least in the earlier movies. But, uh, yeah, around the time after the prequels came out, I realized that... There's more bad Star Wars than good, at least in movies, mm. and
0: that's something that's kind of gauche to think about, but it's true. And another just quadrupling down. There's this big announcement there. So here's twenty new Star Wars things we're working yeah. on. Yeah, and and I get it, and I'm not mm. going to begrudge them. And I hope I hope they're all good. Wouldn't that be nice? But when it
1: comes to the movies, at least let's just focus on those. Mm. Again, your mileage might vary. I know some people love all the prequels, but in, from my taste, I realize that okay. The original trilogy, all varying degrees of great. Jedi, a little less so, but Mm -hmm. solid flakes. The prequels, there's there's stuff I like in three.
0: No, they're... they're, they're... There's like a couple of things I like in Revenge of the Sith. That's as Mm. far as I'm willing to go. I almost find it kind of useless to even separate those three films because (laughs) they're... They're so similar in just pacing and tone and filmmaking. They're kind
1: of the same film. Yeah, yeah which, which they're, they're is, all they're, they're all, the same story. They're all but... equal
0: in my eye. Like yeah. one is not better or worse than the other. They're all just bad.
1: And, and there's little moments of inspiration here and there that are pretty good. Like that's a great image or whatever, but mm. they don't really work. Uh, then you got the Ewok movies, which most people don't like. I actually think Endor is pretty good, but I get it. Uh, then you uh, got the uh, holiday uh, special, hmm. which people are eager to forget was a thing, but that's a TV movie. Mm. that's not like a 40 minute holiday special that is a feature film featuring characters from the movies and their relatives and it's con- it's canon mm. or at least as canon as anything could be
0: that's a and thing that's, that's
1: one of the worst things ever yeah and then you realize okay. that once you start adding all these things in and you add the animated movie which mm. I, I keep hearing clone wars gets great the animated movie is not an example of that it mm. definitely wasn't great yet and then you realize that some, at least some of the new Disney Star Wars is hit or miss. Mm-hmm. You know Whether whether you dislike Last Jedi or not, or whether you dislike Rise of Skywalker or not, I don't know a lot of people who like all three of the main movies. Mm-hmm. I
0: don't like one. And oh, I don't get it. I but... like Last Jedi a lot. Yeah,
1: Last Jedi is great. I think Force
0: Awakens is pretty great. And then... All the, all <laughs> the others, just toss them in the bin. <laughs> I think mean, Rogue One will so have
1: good stuff in them uh, yeah, here and, and there, so but I don't it's... think they work
0: and For so not fun
1: to watch and so like yeah when you look at it in the aggregate you realize that it's not perfect however mm. there's a difference between saying something isn't perfect and saying you don't love it anymore mm. and I think it's okay if you if you listen to your heart and say listen there's stuff I don't like in Star Wars and overall there's maybe more Star Wars I'm not into than there is Star Wars that I am mm. into but if you're really into the Star Wars that you're into just don't watch the other stuff and then you can well, just uh,
0: appreciate this and you can still say I do love Star Wars we uh in my own way. We decry this on our podcast a lot as the, the fan phenomenon of attaching your own personal identity to the things you watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, not even the things you love, just the stuff you consume. And, uh, that's something we all do. It's especially something we do as young people growing up in a media saturated culture. Yeah. It's just not something we can get around. Uh, so, uh, it, become there, there's going to come a point in your life when you feel like you have to, start reckoning with these things that are really important to your identity. Some people never give it up. Mm. It's like, I'm always going to be a star Wars fan. No matter how good or bad it gets, they're just sort of going to be there with the franchise. Yeah,
1: Like we, we mentioned this yeah. in a previous podcast, but like Kevin Smith talked about how it's just like watching a daytime soap opera every day.
0: Mm. It's my stories. Yeah. I'm not going to uh,
1: quit. I'm invested now.
0: And you may reach that moment where you're sitting and watching a star Wars film, even when you like, and just sort of thinking to yourself, I don't I'm not having fun anymore. Yeah. I don't like this shit anymore. I don't care any longer. You and don't have okay, to cling to it. And and it's okay to have that moment. It might be a little sad because so much of your life was devoted to it in the past. Mm-hmm. So some people see that as like kind of a, a painful letting go moment. Or it can be a cathartic letting go moment. It's like I don't need it, to carry that around anymore. It can also be both. It's like, yeah. uh,
1: it's like realizing that you've grown apart from a longtime friend. Yeah. And they're not actually contributing something positive to your life right mm-hmm. now, and you need to spend time away yeah. from them, I, uh, even though you might have really good memories.
0: I was a huge Spider-Man fan when yeah. I was in, in junior high and high school and I was collecting comic books, and I followed The, the Adventures of Spider-Man. I read every one of those Clone Saga books. Oh what it's an kind, era it's kind of kind of like right where i, when I came in was that's the clone a, saga that's, that's, that's a
1: hell of an era to start reading yeah. spider-man i'm not gonna lie that's... <laughs> but,
0: I, but i liked the character and sure. i liked all of the ancillary characters like the venom and the carnage stuff was all really interesting to me when i was watching spider-man far from home i had that moment just like i just don't care about spider-man anymore
1: yeah you killed I'm, it yeah. i'm
0: done you you gave me too much I can't care anymore. This is not novel or interesting any longer. You're not
1: doing something interesting just, with him right now. Just just yeah.
0: stop. I'm, I'm done. And I put Spider-Man down. Mm-hmm. I feel okay for That's
1: it. That's how I felt about X-Men. I was super mm. into X-Men comics growing up. And then yeah. after a while, I realized, I see what they're doing. Mm. They're just doing spin-off after spin-off and event after event. And they're actually not exploring the characters in a way I like anymore. Mm i'm not going to read it anymore. so bye yeah. yeah and i didn't and i didn't and that's so that I, with, I can and eventually that happened with a lot of superhero comics mm-hmm. now i just don't read comics as much as i used to a lot of great comics are being made constantly i just can't dedicate the
0: time i can recall with fondness my time with the comic books i collected sure. from age 12 to age 17 yeah. but i'm
1: not bad-mouthing comics and i'm not saying comics are for kids what i'm saying was i was got tired of what marvel and dc were exactly. doing the, the and i just of... didn't and and they told they literally said the people were, were on like, stage at Comic-Con. Like, Joe Quesada and Dan deal And they were saying things like, uh, well, you know, we, we do these things because people buy them. If you don't like them, don't buy them. And I'm like, okay. okay. And then I stopped. <laughs> and then it And then I never came back because I never stopped doing it. Mm. So, that's that. And And, again, it's okay to only love something a bit. Mm. Like, oh, I don't love it wholeheartedly anymore. I love it with some reservations, but I still care. It's also okay to say goodbye. You know, mm. you don't have to... You don't have to love the exact same thing you've always loved. Yeah. You can grow. And that's totally okay. Don't let anyone tell you that you have to stick with whatever fandom you're into. Mm. What I don't care about Star Trek, Star Wars, Star X-Men, Star Avatar mm. The Last Era, but any any of it. I don't care.
0: Even if it's socially awkward, like you're known as the Star Wars guy. Yeah. It's, it's just like, it's... you know what? I, I've moved on. I, I had, I'm interested I had a, in other
1: stuff right I now. I had a bit
0: of a reckoning. I don't yeah. pay as close attention as I used to, yeah. and I love this about it still. But I'm going to do this now. At some point in our culture, we collectively say we need
1: to constantly embrace hmm. things, and sometimes you want to, and that makes it fine. Sometimes it's okay. Sometimes you're fighting it.
0: Sometimes hmm. you're just like. God, i don't really want to buy the new halo game so i didn't <laughs> i you know what i stopped buying they might be giants records after there a while it's like okay i'm i'm good i was really into, follow you up until a point i was really
1: into true blood i thought for all its flaws there was a lot of things i really liked about the series and halfway through the last season and i knew it was the last season mm. i realized i don't care how it ends
0: <laughs> so you just stop watching there's like
1: four episodes left i still haven't seen them because you lost me. Mm-hmm. And I have no regrets. And never once have I thought to myself, "God, I really wonder what happened to Suki." Like I don't care. <laughs> that you ha- lost me.
0: What happened with me and Doctor Who? It's like yeah. they rebooted Doctor Who. Ooh, Christopher Eccleston. I like that actor. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm going to watch these Doctor Who. These are interestingly written. I like these science fiction stories. Oh, well, look, the universe is going to end. Now the universe is going to end. Yeah. Okay, Matt Smith, what do you got? Oh, the universe is gonna. Okay, I'm out. A, I just ex- I didn't I didn't need anymore. All repetitive. Okay, okay. I, I'm, I'm sure a guy came back, and Peter yeah. Capaldi and, and Jody Jodie Whittaker are very very good. I'm sure, yeah. but I haven't watched their you, stuff. You, you haven't been. I enthused. don't have interest in the show any longer. There you go. So these things happen, mm.
1: and it's totally okay, and you don't need to feel bad about it. And and if you only sort of half like it, that's fine too. And if you eventually come back around and say, screw it, I love it all, I don't care, mm. also fine. Mm. Um. Anyway, I think that's it for we've got mail this week. Thank you everybody for writing in. Yeah. I think we got to had <laughs> fewer letters than than usual because I think some of them were really really long. I'm still not happy with that film school syllabus at all. Oh, well,
0: again, I, 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 give, give us some more miserable. time. We'll come up with a better. Yeah, syllabus. maybe, maybe,
1: mm. but it's 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 tough, and okay. that's the sort of thing that the whole reason you study movies is because mm. to properly understand the history of cinema and the incredible filmmakers who are all over the world and the impact and influence of the art and the cacophony of different genres that are involved. Mm. Can take a lifetime.
0: Yeah. So again, it's, you're just looking what, for
1: the it's what we're doing now. Yeah, that's all of our podcast. Everyone's like, why do you make so many podcasts? Because there's that many movies. That's why. Mm. Um, so yeah, so it, it's so hard. It's such a difficult thing to do, and I'm mm. not happy with how I did. So um, in any case, uh, thank you very much for writing in. Again, if you want to write in to a future episode of We've Got Mail, mm. you totally can. You email us at letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. We might read your email on an upcoming episode of the show. Uh, once again, uh, we want to thank everybody for listening. We want to thank everybody who is part of our Patreon. Uh, we are at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. We have exclusive shows over there. We do commentary tracks. We do uh, uh, polls for upcoming episodes. Every single person who donates on Patreon, we're incredibly grateful to you because without you, mm. we couldn't do the show. Uh, they it would be bad. <laughs> it would be really bad. So we're incredibly, really grateful to you. Thank you so much to everybody who can do it. Mm. And if you can't, totally cool. Times are really hard right now. Mm. But if you want to help out the show, you can leave us a, a review, a star rating, a blurb, wherever you find us, Apple Podcasts, wherever. E- even just taking one minute to do that really helps out the show and helps yeah, other people mm-hmm. find it because it boosts sets, uh, up on the algorithms. You can also follow us on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I'm at William debiani I'm at Whitney Seibel. Uh, tell a friend, that kind of thing. That would help too. Mm. And if you don't like us, that's also fine. Just don't tell do it. don't do any of that stuff, <laughs> or leave us a bad review. That that's fair. Okay. Like yeah, we we'd, no, be, we'd be huge hypocrites if, you, if, if we didn't you, encourage you to be honest in you your know, reviews. If you yeah. like
0: us, tell your friends. If you hate us, tell your enemies. <laughs> <laughs> that's all it's
1: I can cute. say. Yeah, it's good. Um, okay, so yeah, uh, we're at Critical I'm at Lumbiani. He's at Winnie Sabo. We got a Patreon. He bada bing. Uh, again, don't forget. Uh, there's still a couple of days left in the Hooker Giveaway, uh, where Michelle's uh, new vigilante slasher novel, Hooker, which is a uh, pro-queer, feminist, pro-sex work, retrowave, slasher, vigilante thriller uh, about a sex worker who fights a misogynistic serial killer using hooks as weapons. Very cool book. Mm-hmm. Uh, is uh yeah, they're she's still doing a giveaway over on her social media pages. Twitter is underscore mlapas Silva, and uh Instagram, I believe, is author mlapas Silva. So follow her and like those things, and you'll be automatically mm-hmm. entered. And it's Continental U.S. Elevate. Sorry about that. All right. And uh, yeah, that's it. So uh, we'll see you next week. Sincerely yours, Bibbs and Winning.